0: Now, say now, you're tuned into the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. We are here at the Momentum Studios. Spencer is back.
1: Yeah, what's up? I'm cranked up in here, Yeah,
0: you sound a lot more cranked cranked up up than you did at the top of last episode, for obvious reasons, by the way. Not knocking you, but I'm just saying. I've been
1: brushing my teeth every morning to cheering sounds on YouTube, bro. People cheering me on when I'm doing my chores. I'm feeling way pumped up right now. I just turned 30. I'm ready to take on the world.
0: You turned 30, man. How's it feel? How's it feel? It how's it feel? Z- another decade zero, in.
1: Zero difference. Bro. Really? But we're all right. We're going to be all right.
0: How was I, your birthday, man?
1: It was good, man. We rocked out you uh, at Bible Club. DJ, we did. Shout out to Bible Club because that was really fun. Had a bunch of people. Shout out to shout out to Fran, little Fran Drescher. Yeah, out. she looking uh, fresher, ah. <laughs> Everybody was dancing, having a good time. And then we went to Binks. Obviously, shout out Binks. Had a good time. Absolutely. I got, I got faded. I mean, I'm, I I say that without fear of contradiction. Okay. Yeah. It's my birthday. I yeah, had a great enjoy time. Enjoy yourself. We don't care. But you know what? That is the one difference. Is Taking out al- drinking alcohol like I used to when I was younger, I'm out for at least yes. twenty four hours. Don't call me. Yeah, you can't text me. Right, because I'm doing nothing. Right, I-, I can't do that anymore. So I, not, you know, laying off on the drinking is is pretty much the only thing that's changed.
0: Yeah, 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 it, yeah. And, and it happens for everybody. I, I definitely can't. Put him back the way that I used to be able to I when I was pro, 21, bro. 22. I Could have went pro, bro. Yeah, I, <laughs> I <went> was a, <laughs> I was something <laughs> else in was, my yeah, early twenties. Oh, Not today. <laughs> yeah. Could have went pro, bro. <laughs> Not today, but yeah, definitely we had a good time for your birthday. Um quick announcements. You mentioned the Bible club. Shout out to the Bible we got, Club. We got we got win shares. The new segment. Win shares. We, got win shares. Wind shares. we wind gotta shares. do the win shares. Again, had a great time DJing at Bible Club last Sunday. Um, Obviously, we celebrated Spencer's 30th birthday, as we already mentioned. I'll be back up there on June 26th. Pull up if you can. It was a good time, man. It was a really good time. I got one bone to pick from this Sunday's gig. But we'll get into that on Patreon. It's subscribe a little, to the Patreon. Subscribe to the Patreon. Wake up and win podcast. Go to patreon.com, searches Wake Up and Win Pod uh, on, on Patreon. We'll be there just $5 a month. You get weekly content. That's what it's we worth talk it. Shit. It's worth it. But we, we yeah, and we're going to talk yeah. some shit. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Like yeah. I said, for the most part, everything went good. It was a great gig. It was. And I'll be back. So grateful for all of that. But. I still got a little bit of a bone to pick from Sunday. We'll get into that on the Patreon episode. So make sure you subscribe. I think you'll enjoy what it is that we have to talk about. Also, go and buy your your local newspaper, Street Roots, baby. Find your local vendor. Go purchase a paper. Award-winning publication. Award-winning journalist. Always what you need to read to know what's going on here in the community and beyond um always substantial content in our publication and it's for a good cause you are putting cash you're putting money i should say because you also have the option to to venmo vendors as well um you're putting money in you know folks who are homeless and po- and impoverished but still trying to make an honest dollar um by going out and selling these newspapers so make sure you go and get that i don't think i have anything else for the wind shares uh, just be on the lookout for new music. It's coming. It's coming.
1: Just watch your head. All right? So you're about here now. I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming correct. It's yeah. going to happen. I, I, you know, listen, playing music, everyone always asks, you know, p- and I'll say this to people that do art and people that try, you know, crafts and try to have some sort of martial talent. Like, if you don't do it or you fall off for a while and people start going, well, why aren't you back on your thing? Man, it's part of me playing music. I play music every day. Yeah. I'm always making music somehow and it always comes back around. So. I feel really strongly about just, you know, getting back out there playing. Obviously, COVID took out a lot of performances for a good long while. And I've I've done some gigs here and there. But, you know, man, I don't know if gigging is going to be something that I do often going forward. I'm trying to just make music, create music. I got some stuff that I'm working out with some friends. Um, You know, obviously, D-Boy's album should be coming out. You got a gig, though. I mean, yeah. If you want to make money, and 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 uh,
0: well, well, for me, it's not just making money. For me, it's like, well, I mean, it is making money. It's Don't making money. Wrong. I mean, performances are worth the money. It's at. definitely making money, but it, it's also just being able to introduce yourself to a new crowd. I yeah. talked about this last week with know, the Kendrick Lamar with the Kendrick Lamar project, where you you've done a lot of gigs, but. The landscape of this city overall has changed drastically since you like last were consistently gigging. Yeah, that's I think true. that that I think needs to be acknowledged. But also, like, I think that, I, I just I think like those, to see how music think works it's gotten, outside. It's gotten
1: it's changed in the sense that it's gotten whatever like some of the issues were. I think they've been amplified now and they've been exacerbated a little bit. That's okay. what I think.
0: Yeah, but, fair. But but it's know. changed. The landscape yeah. has changed nonetheless and I think there's a lot of new people in the market. There's a lot of new people that Even if they were in the market, I mean, we were shut down for two years. They need some kind of reintroduction to the market, whether it be artistically, whether it be economically, whether it be, you know, they're they're doing a bunch of fucking sweeps around here right now in in Portland. I'm seeing them left and right. Obviously, I don't support sweeps, but they're bringing the Rose Festival back. They're trying to prepare for all of these parades. Like, the city is preparing to try to, like get back to some of its older ways, blues festival. I mean, like I said, man, every day, you know, I work in old town. Every day I drive, I see rapid response, tearing somebody's camp up, Mm. tearing somebody's tent up. And a lot of it is because the city wants to be able to bring back all the things that, we generate. just weren't able to have and that generates income um that that helps the economy and, and ultimately does you know for what it's worth help the culture i mean i i hate that in order to do that you got to sweet folks but yeah. at the same time you know that's what the city's attempt to do is here is to try to like generate all of this revenue bring back all of these old traditions that went by the wayside over the last couple years
1: <laughs> yeah
0: i i mean but it, but on that level,
1: in terms of generating it, because you got to listen, you got to generate the income. People got to be able to come in and spend money at bars to justify putting musicians in there for sure. But musicians have never been paid well,
0: you know, in, in a
1: lot of cities. But this city, to, you know, in a particular sense, it's a really drink heavy city. So, you know, exchanging a part of your, you know. Uh, what you're going to get paid, or all of it sometimes for drinks, alcohol, t- tabs. And yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, 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 yeah. I don't do that. Sometimes that's a common. Of course, no, it's. it's Yeah. Uh, and, and for me, man, <clears throat> excuse me, the performing, I, I'm, like I said, I, I haven't made a full decision. Mean, th- I just turned 30 years old. That's the new 25 at the very least. I mean that's at least how I feel. Shit, I still feel 15 in my head. There you I'm go. There you to. go. But uh, but uh, you know, let the kids go perform, man. There's the, you're right. There is a lot of you know, but you people can still perform. Like I I'm said, sure, for me, but- I
0: also, but but I'm also speaking from a consumer as well. I don't perform music. Right. I mean, I, I DJ obviously, but I'm speaking from the con- as from a consumer standpoint as well. Like I like to hear how music does outside. I'm a social butterfly. My introduction to music was outside. It wasn't what it is today where I can go on a phone and I can stream whatever it is that I like. My introduction to music was block parties. My introduction to music was listening to Thump in the Trunk. You know what I'm saying? My introduction to music was E-40 having picnics in Vallejo for the Charlie Hustle you know, album release party when I'm six years old. Like These are things that I can remember, maybe even younger, five years old, you know, he brought Gary Payton out back in those days. He brought Thunder, the Warriors mascot out. Like, I... My, like, most vivid yeah, memories of music oh, and, uh, yeah, <laughs> as a child that kind of molded how I consume music today is hearing how it works outside. I've never been, like, this super techie person. I mean, obviously, I'm not tech illiterate, but I've never been this, like, super up-to-date, current, or even ahead-of-my-time techie person to where... You know, just sitting in a quiet room and just being on my phone, being by myself, listening to music. Like, I have my moments when I do that. But the Kendrick album, I think, is a perfect example. It was too early for me to begin to judge the album based on just how I liked hearing the album. I like to see... When I go outside, how are people responding to it? I got to see a bit of a taste of that this past weekend, being able to go out and DJ and plan the new Kendrick stuff outside. Because for me, I know... You want to see how it works. I want to see how it works. It gives me the feels that I need to understand like as much of the magnitude of the music as I absolutely can, rather than just kind of a sector of the magnitude of
1: it. Yeah, well, I mean, I try to always think about how can I use music... Like what do I use music for? I think about all the different types of music that I listen to, and I think a lot of people do this. You know, they have specific vibes or or styles of music that they use for sp- specific applications in their life. For sure, you know. And I, um, and I, uh, you know, did music for to make money off of it for a long time, and like have it been my main focus, and like it was my entire life. And so I'm like, okay, what do I want to use music for now? going forward in my life I'm like I want to use music for just connecting with people on like that musical connectivity level mm-hmm. because that's what I mainly miss from performing is not necessarily being in front of a crowd I could take or leave that but just being able to communicate like on the fly with musicians in this in the way that that happens that's what I miss a lot cuz it's very it's like a sport, dog. Yeah, for sure. It's like a sport, and and I, that's that's the part that I miss the most. So if I was going to do that, bro, I just honestly, I'm just not really interested in, like, the, the concert experience very much. Just in that, you know, I just feel like people, again, it's like, what are you using the music for? It's very difficult to get a unified, you know, like, agreement from an audience to be like, this is the experience that we're all trying to have right. for this concert, for this thing. You know what I'm saying? Concerts always have you know problems. Just there's a problem somewhere, and and I think that that's just contributing to like you know everyone's there for a different experience, and because we have access to way more methods of listening to music and taking in music, yeah. That you know it's it's becomes way more you know difficult to get everybody on the same vibe. Right, right, right. You know right, what I'm right, saying? Right, right, and right. And so you know, but see, for- that's
0: that to me is where like talent and ability and ultimately just gifts come into play. I think that's – and I'm not – and this is, is beyond you. Yeah, yeah, no, we're just – Obviously, talking, yeah, course, now Now we're just we shooting. Zoomed it, out. Yeah, 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 now we zoomed out. But, like, to me, that's where you get to truly see, like – how gifted a person truly genuinely is when there's more resources out there for people to consume the way that you speak of but you're still able to bring all of these people back to like this centralized place that is you the artist the performer the you know the creator whatever that is it's like you're able to bring them all right back to you for kind of this uniform feeling that your gift is able to give out to the world and that people want to receive ultimately and that's where i think you start to just have a completely different conversation about like yeah, I mean, when you I, when I you start don't. having debates and when you start making lists and when you start to talk about right. impact and influence and all of those things like that's when i think that conversation kicks in again well into i gear mean I, you know
1: i try to I try to be as as objective as i can especially talking about like gifts and stuff like that and like how talented people are because time and place is a big one too like yeah. like dmx or even 50 Cent, when they first came out and they were just major, killing stadiums. I mean, 50 was doing the stuff with M and Dre and stuff, so he's murdering stadiums. That was already a preset situation for him to to be able to kill. It was the time and the place. right? Or like DMX, the music that he made and the way that he rocked shows, I think that it wouldn't translate... St- as well to like today, yeah, yeah just yeah, based yeah, on yeah, yeah, socio political, what you know, that yeah, time and place. It's stuff. different, right? But but that's why I'm like, all right, well, well, then how valuable really is? I think it is very valuable talent to a certain extent, but I also feel like, you know, it, it, it's like I said, it's very difficult to get people all on the same accord. You know, yeah. And what are the guys that do that the best? They are, you know. The Travis, like, Travis Scott. Yeah. You know, you would probably say, like, his counterpart to, like, it would be, like, a Post Malone in a way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And those guys do that because they're, it's, it's a lot of it's, like, and I'm not saying this in a negative way, but it's, like, appealing to the lowest common denominator. You know what I'm saying? You're going down to the most basic, you know, connecting piece. Yeah. And trying to get people to build off of that. Got it. You know what I'm saying? Got it. And I just feel like. That's not. That's not the space you're in. That's right not now. something that I'm like. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Interested like, in doing? Able to? Do. And that's I don't fair. Think able? I don't think able to do. Bro. Really? No. Yeah. Because you know what, man? As you get older, bro, you get more not closed off, but you know what I'm saying? Like you just the world just starts to do this thing where it it kind of puts you know something around your periphery to where you're like, okay, like I've I've whittled away all the other shit. It, it, it's a, it's a lack of openness, you know. And young people have i saying young people. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Yeah, that sounds dumb. You, get no, you, know you ain't I'm getting saying? no
0: younger. No, I, I get what you're saying. But, <laughs> yeah, it's just
1: funny to say that. I don't Yeah, mean, yeah, that, yeah, but yeah. You yeah. know what I'm saying. I don't know what I mean, but you know what I mean when I told you. I'm old school, <laughs> new school, I'm a dropout. Got my GED back in the game to pull your guap out. No, that's in peace, Sean Price. The point of what I'm saying is it's a young person's game. I went off on a tangent. So that's why. But Again, this is still part of the announcements, bro.
0: <laughs> nah, the announcements are over. I said I didn't have anything else to announce. And then, well, I guess you were announcing music. But it was cool for that to lead straight into the conversation. I yeah. don't care. Well, we're, I, we're podcasters, you know what, man. We're not. I, I have, we're not we are not. We do long-form content. We're not a segmented radio show where we can't transition you know what, how we feel we must. You know we what, must. though,
1: bro? If anybody out there wants to give us a segment in which they want to sponsor us, Go let's for call, it. come holler us. We we Go for want it. to talk. Go we for might it. We might
0: want to talk to you. Well, let's get into something. Uh, LeBron is reported the first active NBA player to be a billionaire by Forbes. I don't yeah. think he just became a billionaire when the announcement was made, but Forbes, obviously, when it comes to economy, is one of the, you know, one of the more prominent publications in that regard. Um and congratulations to LeBron, first and <laughs> foremost, like that's uh, major. I Even suppose. for that to be a report is still major.
1: Yeah. It's major. Uh, yeah, it's uh it's like Busting the ceiling of uh, the stratosphere of what athletes can do while they're playing, yeah. And it, it, the LeBron effect, man, the LeBron effect is so massive and so massive. Man, that billion, I mean, sure, you know, he's rich beyond your wildest dreams, and that's whatever, but it signifies like, look, look at what this has truly become. Now, you got yeah. guys like CJ McCollum who are going to be actively calling basketball games. While being a well, player. he's an analyst. Yeah, uh, he's 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 analyzing yeah, these yeah, basketball on games. TV, yeah, 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 you know yeah, yeah. Broadcasting yeah, for, sure. for basketball for sure, which is just like oh, sick. I mean, I love to see that. Jay I do too. I love to see that because I I think you know that that's gonna make the product better. Like, you know, Stephen A. Smith was talking about um you know having that little t- go go back and forth with Kevin Durant. Yeah, on Twitter. On Twitter, and and I don't want to uh, I don't want to fuck up the quote, but excuse me, sorry about that one, Zeb. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Stephen A. Smith was like, "Oh, we're not going anywhere. We're multiplying in response to Kevin Durant saying that he has probably done worse for the game.
0: Yeah, than Michael Jordan, it, which is f- a fair take. <laughs> which is true. Which is true. Which is a fair uh, take. Which is a hundred percent true, bro." <laughs>
1: No, it's not a fair take. It's, it's a fair take. It's, it's objectively one hundred percent fact. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know what yeah. I'm
1: saying. No doubt about it. For sure. And so,
0: even though, nah, ah, no, dude, it is, man. You're talk- well, <laughs> yeah, comparing those two, That's yes, exactly. I think, the, I'm I think, me, I think the conversation be- conversation should have never existed because <laughs> yeah, I think both sides are great malarkey. for the game. <laughs> Obviously, I think Michael Jordan is a lot more greater for the game of basketball than Stephen A. Smith or any other journalist is for that matter. So, yes, I agree there. Because Stephen A. made the comparison or he he used the analogy, if you will, it made it fair for Kevin within Durant to clap back in the way that he did within the context sure. of that conversation. But absolutely. it's even
1: bigger than that, especially now when what we just talked about, LeBron James is a billionaire, C.J. McCollum, Draymond Green— Shit, Kevin Durant. I mean, is look probably look at what
0: JJ Redick's doing too. I mean, Jay, he's retired J-J now, J-J Redick, but still.
1: and then Kendrick Perkins is just leading a charge for like, yeah, hey, man, just be savvy with this game on the bench. I mean, that's what he looks like to me. Guys, like, be savvy on the bench and 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 let your personality shine through. And then that argument from Kevin Durant is going to be even more of an avalanche against the media influence on the game of basketball because the guys that are influencing the game objectively on the court by adding to new stats and breaking records and, and playing adding to the history of the game. Yeah. Now they're also going to be controlling the narrative on the other end and adding to the history of the, the lore of the yeah, game. Yeah. For sure. You know what I'm saying for sure. And that is why Stephen A. Smith, you know, responded like a seventh grader, <laughs> you know what I'm it saying? It was whack. It was just whack. The way he tweeted it, it was like, did you have your like 13 year old write this or something? Cause like, it, you, you it's like you sound running scared.
0: Yeah, it was. That's whack. what it reads. It was whack. And that's was why whack. I'm like why I would agree.
1: you why would you pick a fight with with that? And and that's another thing. I think Stephen A Smith especially in that arena of Twitter, I think he kind of got licked on that one because Kevin Durant is ill on Twitter. Yes, <laughs> say he. What is. you want to say about Kevin Durant? But he figured it was it must have been all them burner accounts. He was taking notes like Fucking uh, game theory. like <laughs> Yeah, well, Russell it was just Crow. a
0: point in time where like you couldn't really speak against the media beautiful or you had to speak. He was
1: beautiful-minding it. I found the reference.
0: You had to speak to certain media and, and, and even LeBron, you know, taking us back to LeBron, becoming a billionaire, like him and what he's been able to do in the media with Uninterrupted, the Spring Hill Company, uh, uh, uh The Shop, his TV shop. show. Like LeBron is like very, very he's active. He's the guy for that. He's the guy when it comes to like setting the bar, I guess, for active players in media. Like, we're obviously seeing guys follow. We're seeing the C.J. McCullums. We're seeing the Draymond Greens. We're seeing, like, active players that are, you know, making waves. Patrick Beverly, you know, a more recent one, obviously. Like, we're seeing active players, like, take on this space and, like, fill up this space as, like, media as well as the product on the floor as well. And I think LeBron set the standard. He set the, he set the bar for that more than anybody, really. And, and, and you know, and we'll get more into the Stephen A. Yeah, stuff I mean, here his, shortly because I, I do want to talk about that. But, yeah, I think, like, LeBron, man, he's, he's, he's a gift to the In terms of influence on the game, I, I think that he – the reason why
1: – I'm pretty sure I've said this on this podcast, but I think the reason why he is – in the pantheon of greatest ever, most influential ever, you know, the guy for basketball forever over everyone else is strongly because of the outside sort of ethereal influence that he has on the game and on the way people think about the game. For sure. And the way that money moves around the game and society moves around the game. Yes. And it's like, I mean, he's just such a... He's mastered that part of it. It's beyond anything that... And I think... It's the bigger you bet, the bigger they bet. The scarier they get. Like the the further this thing goes, it's gonna get a little dicey. I feel like just by being like, all right, bro, you have all this influence. I mean, how are you gonna How are you gonna use it? All of these guys. How are you gonna use it to change the game, the way that we talk about the game? I'm talking on like a social justice level, straight up. Cause they're, used, they're, they're They're doing it. they They're. they're very, yeah. I mean. And what is that? What is that gonna mean for a Stephen A. Smith or a or a Pick your poison, Skip Bayless.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I guess that's who Shannon Kevin Durant Sharp. got at. Where the those guys, he was guys. getting at. Um, right, that's I, I definitely, mentioning. I definitely think it makes it tougher for for all journalists. I think this new wave of, you know, athlete media, if you will, will definitely have an influence and an impact. But I think there's still space for both. Um, because I do still believe that you don't want your media just to be players that play within the game because there is a bias there too. And you want to be able to kind of push back on some of those biases that are code, if you will, um, because sometimes as consumers, I think fans and consumers are are every bit as important to the game, obviously, and to the business of the game more importantly As a lot of these athletes are because they're the ones that pay for the NBA to, you know, ultimately grow and glow the way that it's been able to as an American league, a a professional American league. But I think ultimately it's like finding your niche now becomes more important because a lot of these players going into media is indeed going to codify things, but things were already being codified prior by the industry of sports media, the industry of sports journalism in a way of framing, if you will, negatively impacting these players and athletes. So I understand why these players are like, moving the way that they are in regards to kind of this narrative shift, if you you will, because even though some of the points that they're going to make will be codified because they are indeed NBA players or former NBA players, if you will, but more so speaking to the active ones, obviously LeBron being an active NBA player, becoming a billionaire today. um, But you still need kind of that balance of guys and journalists that, understand the code of the NBA but don't necessarily have to apply that code to speak of the NBA to be critical of the NBA if there is room and there's places and spaces for the NBA to be better and there's always room for improvement. So I'm like me as a journalist like I'm not scared of it but I do believe the stance that Stephen A kind of took on Twitter against KD did seem like a bit more of a scared stance. And and, and it felt like
1: yeah, sort of he me.
0: was being challenged in regards to His credibility when it comes to the game of basketball, and not just that he was being challenged, because he's challenged every day in that regard by random people on Twitter, but he's being challenged by one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Yeah, And Kevin Durant, and I think a part of the problem with what Stephen A. did, now just transitioning into this... I think Stephen A overextended himself in this regard. And this is something that I've done before as a black journalist, as a black person in media. And this is something that Stephen A has been doing a lot more as of late, especially in the success that he's been able to have as of late, whether it be monetarily or whether it just be, you know, overall influence. Like he's a big dog when it comes to what he does in this media space. But Stephen A was trying to actually get consumers, viewers, listeners to understand the point that Mad Dog was trying to make when he made the claim about Michael Jordan and what it is that people from Mad Dog's era or that think like Mad Dog, if you will, have a bone to pick with the game of basketball, with what it's become, with what it's turned into and the overall evolution of it. And, the problem with that is obviously Draymond and Mad Dog just had their situation, you know, very recently. The problem with that is Mad Dog has helped Stephen A get to this point. Stephen A had a show on Mad Dog Radio once before and even when he said it if you watch the clip, Amari Stoudemire was on the panel at the time too. And Stephen A acknowledged, all, he said what he said about Michael Jordan and how he actually was worse for the game because of the individuality component. But when Stephen A said that, he looked at Amari Stoudemire. And he said, "People like you and I are okay with that. People like Mad Dog is not okay with that, with sort of the evolution of the game. The problem was you tried to kind of get people to understand the way that Mad Dog thought, when that's kind of irrelevant. JJ Reddick told him, like, some of the stuff that you're saying, like, it doesn't matter anymore. It's irrelevant. It's dated, if you will. Mad Dog has a dated viewpoint of the sport of basketball, but because Mad Dog has helped Stephen A which is obviously why Mad Dog is on First Take Weekly with Stephen A because Stephen A is kind of throwing him a bone back because Stephen A once had a show on Mad Dog Radio. He's a mad dog. He's overextending (laughs) himself. He's overextending himself for somebody that helped him in this industry and I get that and I understand that because again when you're in an industry that doesn't necessarily reflect you or doesn't necessarily look like you but has helped you see some success regardless of what that success looks like but obviously in Stephen A's case, there has been loads of success. There are going to be those times where you're willing to overextend yourself for an industry that doesn't really fuck with your demographic like that, and then you look like one of them, and then you have people calling you out of your name. You have people, you know, calling you a coon or whatever the case may be. I don't, I, I don't believe that. Stephen that is. I, I don't believe Stephen a is that, but he's heard that time and again. But again. I think it was an overextension of him trying to explain why Mad Dog felt the way that Mad Dog felt, which was absolutely irrelevant in this case. And it made him almost seem as if he agreed with Mad Dog's stance or if he could kind of understand or accept Mad Dog's stance because he could based on his relationship with Mad Dog personally. But... We're talking to a nation and we're talking to folks that are on an entirely different side of history than maybe somebody like Mad Dog is. So when you try to make at Mad Dog be understood today in this new media age, if you will, as Draymond Green would say, you now look like you're more supportive of Mad Dog. Even though he did clearly say, like, I don't necessarily agree with Mad Dog, but I understand why he's taking the stance he's taking. Even... Like there's no more understanding for that <laughs> anymore. Like there's just not, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's also, no more understanding
1: for that. I mean, even before that, to be like trying to talk about his basketball acumen compared to a guy like Kevin Durant, it's like, man, the only the one thing that these guys can bring to the table from a media perspective is that they objectively know. The game, the mechanics of the game, better than you. Yeah, they must. They must because they're out, they're able to perform it at the highest level of all time, night in and night out. So like, that's not even the hill to die on, bro. It's
0: not the hill to <laughs> die like,
1: on. Like, go 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 somewhere else with and, it.
0: And look, I don't even mind that because Stephen A. He, I, I listen to Stephen A.'s interviews. Obviously, Stephen A. being black in this space and. I, I I pay attention to Stephen A. day in and day out. I do because look at what he's doing in a space that I'm in. Like I, I have no choice but to at least pay attention to him, whether I like him, I agree with him, I don't. But uh, and you, we talk about this. We're in a game of takes. I don't. I'm not mad when Stephen A. dies on really any hill because I know. In a game of takes, you're going to die on certain heels, sometimes unintentionally. Sometimes it's, it's not even about you or how you really feel. Again, in this case, I don't think he necessarily felt this way, but it's like, why was this even a question? What producer put me on the spot to have to answer this question with these two about who is better or worse for the game when we're speaking of entities like Stephen Curry and Michael Jordan? Like... Who even, like, set him up to be in position to have to answer that question? And obviously he gets paid to answer these questions. So he did. But it puts him in more of a vulnerable position because the question was asked and I have an obligation to answer it because this is ultimately what I get paid to do. So I don't even necessarily trip on the heel that he died on, but it's just more so like Kevin Durant was absolutely valid in calling him out because... Michael Jordan, there's no way Michael Jordan, there's no way Steph Curry could make the game of basketball worse. Like, we all got our flaws, but making the overall game worse and and tying that to that of Michael Jordan and Steph Curry, like, I have no understanding for that. Kevin Durant had no understanding for that. Stephen A. didn't really have understanding for that, but he tried to use that analogy to support Mad Dog, and it put him in an awkward position because, again, his relationship with Mad Dog. I've been through this before. I've talked about this on here before, and and I'll name it with John Canzano as a John Canzano intern, and then being on a sports radio uh, uh, station and having a show on the same station as John Canzano. We, Canzano's been on this podcast before to talk about it people in this market have been very critical of John Canzano over the years because of his coverage if you will When I come into the media space and I'm interning for John Canzano and then ultimately we're co-workers because I I broadcast the show, you know, right before his show airs on the station. I'm going to these Ducks games and these Ducks events or whatever games and where people are recognizing who I am because of me being on the radio show. And the first thing they do is compare me to John Canzano or they mention John Canzano because of obviously who John Canzano is. And it's like, yo. I'm not John Canzano by any means. I don't agree with John Canzano on everything at all. But I know John Canzano and I know what John Canzano did for me. And I always respect and acknowledge that because at the end of the day, he didn't have to. He didn't even have to accept me to be an intern, better yet, be the biggest advocate for me to be able to ultimately get a radio show. I went on his show just last week, and and the first thing that I told him is, like, it's good to be back home on the Ball Face Truth radio show. This was the show that six years ago got me into broadcasting, and I've been in this game and in this space ever since. Not because me and John Canzano aligned You know what, I'm curious
1: about that, actually. I'm curious about that, actually, because you are an athlete— like a media athlete, yeah, that's what you are. You're, for sure, but yet, but yet, you are trying to pre- not protect, but but see the side of the purely journalistic standpoint.
0: Absolutely. Well, well, here's the thing. For one, I I, I went to school for journalism. So I was like, while I was playing college basketball and playing high-level basketball, at the same time I was going to school, like I got my degree in general media. I got my bachelor's degree in general media. So I do understand sort of the more like traditional side of things when it comes to journalism and broadcasting and so on and so forth because I was more traditionally trained in that regard.
1: And because you work in Portland. but I (laughs)
0: Absolutely. But I also was an athlete. I also... Was a player. I'm somebody that understands the code because even you know, obviously, not a lot of people make it to the NBA. Most people don't, but like I played a high enough level of basketball where I got real yeah, personal you, ties and friends played, and connections and with people and with people that NBA. that made it to the NBA. So I, mean, so I got access to even more than, a lot of than maybe just a yeah. traditional yeah. journalist does, yeah, and yeah, that's kind sure. of what I've always done. In the space of journalism and media, like, I've leveraged more often than not, I leverage my own relationships than I do, like, take handouts or, you know what I mean? Like, people do stuff for you. Again, I acknowledge what Kanzano did for me, but it's like, I still was able to take that and stick with it and do more with it because of... The connections, the ties, uh, the knowledge that I have as somebody that played high level college basketball—I even look at it in, in my position roles today. Like, think about it as an in-game broadcaster. The play-by-play side of me, I feel like more so more so aligns with like the the traditional journalism background that I have, whether it be from higher education or obviously work that I've done and published. But at Portland State, I'm an analyst. And the reason why I'm an analyst is because I can analyze the game in a way that somebody that played NCAA college basketball can analyze it from. So I can feel that role, but I can also feel like you don't really hear a lot of play-by-play guys being former players. They're usually the analysts, the former players are. So I can fill in the analyst role at Portland State because I did actually play, but I also can do the play-by-play role at Pacific because I was trained up the way that most traditional play-by-play broadcasters or commentators are trained up to be. So I'm kind of in a weird place, honestly, in this entire media space where it's like, I understand and I root for the success of these athletes and these players and their narratives and so on and so forth. But I also have a little bit more empathy for Stephen A because I understand what it is kind of overextending yourself for somebody or an industry at large that has helped you in particular become successful. And I think he kind of is getting caught in the middle of that right now, especially with Mad Dog. And every week there's something new in regards to him having to defend Mad Dog, even if he doesn't necessarily agree with Mad Dog's stance. Sure,
1: I get what you're saying. And obviously you're trying to, excuse me, but, you know, how do you get – Because, you know, the end result from what I see is that Kevin Durant, in a way, just turns into, like, a Stephen A. Smith just for the opposite side of things. In that, like, once you get to that point, you're just going to rock with the brotherhood of the NBA and the code of the NBA. For sure. And it's not going to be, you know, considerate of, of all of the facets that you need to think about, I think, to be a new age effective type of guy. Like... Draymond Green I think is a guy that I can say and maybe Kendrick Perkins too really. Yeah. I really see those guys and I go okay, well they can they can potentially be like a long-term template for the question I'm asking you like how do you get athletes that are showing you know either an acumen or an interest into the journalistic side of things? How do you get them to care about both sides like you seem to have to be like I I respect journalism in that side of it, but right. I also come from this and I respect that.
0: Again, like I said, I, I think for me it's just my experience. Like it's just my lived experience. I understand, that but how do you get other that,
1: people to I,
0: care I, about it? I, I wish I had the answer to that, but I don't. Because mm. I also understand how corrupt the media side of things has been historically. To what to where it's like there's so, an
1: aversion to, to it. To
0: where it's like I to where like it's totally valid to want to change the narrative and, and yeah, be adverse to what kind of the history of the media has been. And again, Mm. when you look at somebody like a Stephen A. Smith, uh, an intricate part of that media business, especially sports media, if you will, and and that side of history has been the side of history that somebody like a Mad Dog has been on. But Stephen A., obviously, Mad Dog has given him a hand up in his career. So Stephen A. has sort of this allegiance to Mad Dog, if you will, because of what Mad Dog has done for him personally. I'll give you another example. Coming into this market, you obviously know my Bay Area ties. I didn't know much about the sports market. I didn't even really know much about John Canzano at the time when I first got the internship with him. Like, Just being transparent, I wasn't even really into sports media like that. Again, I was was playing ball, which was my first priority then. I was going to school for it, but I more so was going going to school to play ball. It wasn't until like almost damn near when I graduated when I started to realize like all right, ball really is coming to an end for me soon (laughs) because I've been playing sports my whole life it was hard to imagine that an end would actually be near and now I need to get a little bit more serious about my education and that being able to translate to whatever it is that I do after ball so I get this internship with the Ball Face Truth with John Canzano and you gotta remember I'm from the Bay Area who else is from the Bay Area Damian Lillard we know a lot of mutual people. Oh, I people. thought you were going to say John Canzano. No, no. And he is actually too. <laughs> but 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 I'm getting to a point here. Damien Lillard being from the Bay, I got a lot of ties with Dame's people, right? But I'm interning for John Canzano. When I start interning for John Canzano, I learn John Canzano and Damien Lillard don't even really have a great relationship. So because of that, because John Canzano was giving me this opportunity, I kind of was like, not necessarily assertive in trying to have a relationship with Damian Lillard here in this market, even though we knew all of the same people, even though we we have similar backgrounds, all of these things. But it was like, if I ever get around Damian Lillard and Dame finds out that I'm a fucking John Canzano intern, like... I get harder to trust in that way. So I wouldn't even want to put myself in a position where I can lack trust because these two particular ent- entities aren't fond of each other. But again, my allegiance is still to Kenzano because Dame doesn't do anything for me. He's not giving me any opportunities. He's not putting money in my pockets. I'm not his intern. I'm not any of that. So I'm just kind of doing my thing with Kenzano, and I'm not avoiding Dame like on no scary stuff, but I'm just kind of like, I know we know a lot of the same people, and there's always people from back home like, you need to connect with Dame. You need to connect with Dame. Like I can't begin to tell you how many times I used to hear that, and I was like, the time will come on everything when the dots will all be connected, but I'm not necessarily in a rush because the main thing I'm doing out here is interning for a guy that supposedly he doesn't even have a good relationship with. So at that point, it was just kind of like, well... See you when I see you, Dave. <laughs> but like I'm not gonna like try to connect with you, even though I know I have the connections more so than a lot of people to, to be able to actually do that. And and again, I say that to say I understand where Stephen A's allegiance is to obviously I spoke to it on a much smaller scale, but it is to Mad Dog and wanting Mad Dog to be understood without basically sounding like this outdated. Dinosaur get prick, off, get, off get off my, my lawn, ass, prick. You know what I'm saying? Like, because that's what he comes off as. And there have been people that have criticized Canzano to be a similar type of journalist. And I and I'm not saying nothing that nobody already doesn't know, including John Canzano. Again, we've had conversations about this on this very podcast. So it's like I get it. I get. I got a little more sympathy, or maybe even empathy, if you will, for Stephen A. Smith and the position he's in right now, but I also 100% understand him being called out by Kevin Durant because if you just take everything else and put it to the side, the names, the people who said it, why it was said, the five W's, if you take the five W's and you just let the statement stand alone, Michael Jordan was worse for the game of basketball, period, that sounds nuts.
1: Yeah, you sound like you need to take
0: the crazy <laughs> or it crazy. It sounds nuts. E- either case. one, like it, it. It sounds nuts. But again, I I watched a clip and I watched a clip at least to the end that I saw. You know that was posted on his social media, and he specifically pointed out Amari Stoudemire. He was like, "You and I don't view things this way, but he does, and this is why." And it's like nobody cares anymore about how Mad Dog feels. I know Mad Dog was the big thing when you were coming up in the game. I know he gave you a hand up in the game, but, like, nobody cares anymore about Mad Dog. Yeah, I only care about Mad Dog 2020. Yeah, like, you're the one that, you're the one, the thing is, Stephen A., you've gotten to a position now The one, you're the one that make people care about Mad Dog again, and, and now they're growing a huge distaste for Mad Dog, and you obviously don't have a distaste for Mad Dog because, again, your allegiance to him in the way that he's helped you in your career to get to this point. So you don't necessarily like to see when other people have a distaste for him. But quite frankly, a lot of his takes are on the absolute wrong side of history. It just is what it is. And the more that you try to defend that, defend that, even if you don't agree with it, the more it'll seem like you're on the wrong side of history and you'll have to continue to answer to that over and over and over again, and I know Stephen A. gets tired of it because, you know, he don't think he's on the wrong side of history, quite frankly. Well, his pocketbooks aren't, so he's Absolutely fine. not. But so again, he's fine. he's fine. He's fine. No, I'm I'm just speaking from hey, a- He's
1: going to get – yeah, I know what you're saying. He's going to get – listen, he's going to keep getting more and more criticism as he just becomes further away from what's happening now because it's always a young person's game when you're trying to freshen something up and – I mean, shit. Kevin Durant is the young cat, and the- like I said, why would you try to pick a fight with KD on Twitter, man? Like, stop. Well, I think KD got that. after
0: him first. Well,
1: of course he did, but you don't. That's but you what Katie don't. KD does. That's
0: what
1: he does. <laughs> that's what KD does. Okay, so you don't go and start. You just let that shit slide. Everyone goes, hey, did you see what KD said? I saw what he said, and that's all I'm going to say about that. You don't say yeah. that don't get into a fight with a guy like KD. And on that's now that's, that's something
0: that I've heard Mad Dog say on first take before that I agreed with him on. Mad Dog said I don't do the Twitter stuff. You he got knows a problem with his ass licked off. You that. got a problem with you, me. You can call my show. <laughs> nah, you pause, can call pause. You pause. can call my platform. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you, you, how you how good pause now. there. Good pause. But um, yeah, like like I've heard, man. I don't get into the tortoise because he was criticizing KD because KD yeah. gets into the Twitter yeah. stuff, and that was he's more so about the KD and Draymond situation. That. Yeah. that 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 he was alluding to when he when he mentioned that. Like, I don't get into. The Twitter stuff, like, you can call into my show, obviously. That's probably getting him more ratings and revenue. But he's like, other than that, I'm not yeah, going like, to get you into it? the— Call in. Yeah, I'm not going to get on <laughs> Twitter and go want. back and forth on Twitter, which is exactly what Stephen A. did hey, in this case. And again, you, Look, you're just I, digging your heels in think deeper. There's
1: no problem with being, like, aware of your limitations and saying, okay, maybe I don't want to do this. You know, some people get goaded in— to trying to do things that is overextending themselves. And it's like, man, you're just getting drugged into real deep waters that you're not going to be able to, especially as as time goes on. And that's why, I, that's why I just, I'm a little bit reticent to think about, okay, you know, the players are taking over the media space too. Their voice is already so loud in the game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that, to have that other end echoing it from the other side, it's like, it's going to be those antiquated ways of thinking are definitely going to fall to the wayside, I think, at a much more accelerated rate, for sure. But see... But guys like Stephen A. Smith, they're not going to go anywhere because, the, like I said, the importance of the of the construction of the story around the game is better left to people that do that for a living and have told stories their entire life. I think I found the answer, you know?
0: though, to, what, to the question you asked me. Now, thinking about it, talking through it, I think, ultimately and this was a conversation that we've actually had on here before when we talked about the Michelle Tafoya situation, Uh I think ultimately for those folks that are like traditional sports journalists or like not former players or whatever the case may be, I think ultimately they're going to have to cover these sports in a more creative way to kind of use sports more so as a vehicle and as a gateway to whatever... The, the point is they're trying to get across by way of their coverage. I think that's the way to kind of stick around a little bit more, if you will. Um, everybody's going to be right or wrong when it comes to having sports takes. And again, when you see these players coming in and they're filling in these slots, you're now seeing well, that's less and less positions for these actual journalists. But LeBron James didn't just open up the floodgates for athletes to be able to become media active ones in particular he also opened up the floodgates for social justice to be an intricate part of the NBA we obviously know music and basketball has always been intricate it's like we we're we're, we're it's like remember what Allen Iverson did like Allen Iverson was only being covered a particular way even though he was bringing like culture into the game in a way that has blossomed into like things unimaginable back when he was getting in trouble for introducing culture into the game the way that he did, I think as a sports journalist, as a sports reporter, you have to immerse yourself in more than just sports. You have to immerse yourself in culture. You have to immerse yourself in the interest of these players and what it is that they like to do to be able to speak with them on deeper levels than just X's and O's, because quite frankly, they're going to know the X's and O's a little bit better than you do. That doesn't mean you don't speak about the X's and O's, but that also means expand yourself, become a bit more expand obviously i do it right here like by day i'm in politics and social social justice by night i'm i'm calling a sports game i'm or weekend nights and weekends i'm i'm i'm, I'm, I'm sports broadcasting essentially but i'm able to have conversations about sports and social justice In a way where I'm never uncomfortable when I have to have these conversations with these players. And I think ultimately they respect that. Again, another example just last week we talked about the whole Tim Anderson situation. Well, his situation is not just about baseball, it's about like social shit that has now intersected with baseball. So what does he do? He goes to talk to a Bomani Jones about that because Bomani has these conversations regularly when it comes to the intersectionality of sport and social issues, if you will. So that's something that I think journalists should do and be more willing to do. That might mean you might have to go against the grain a little bit, against some of the traditional ways and maybe even against some of the people that put money in your pockets. But The progression is not going to slow down anytime soon, if at all. So you kind of got to be willing to take that risk. That would probably be my best answer to your question. I had to speak through it and think through it, but I think that would would be the advice that I would give. Is like don't just try to be sports straight up and down because you are eventually going to hit that crossroads where – Sports is going to intersect with something else, and you've got to be confident enough and comfortable enough and well-versed and and researched enough on on whatever that intersection is to be able to talk about it and be comfortable enough to be advocated for by players and consumers.
1: Boom. Genesis of thought, bro. That's when podcasting is the shit. Yeah.
0: That that would be my answer. It happens
1: to me all the time because— I don't know what I'm talking about until I Well,
0: I'm I don't I don't about. like to answer a question just to say I answer a question. I like to like I might not have been able to come out if I didn't come up with the answer that fast, we I just made wouldn't one have up. said it. We no, would have been kidding. talking about something else right now. We would have made one up. Yeah, no, no, I wouldn't have. That's the point. <laughs> <laughs> I would I wasn't gonna make one up on the spot when exactly. you asked me, obviously not expecting that question, but as well, we, we talk talked through it, and think through it, we talked it out, and that's what I ultimately think. I think Michelle Point Michelle Tafoya hit her crossroads, and she awkwardly tried she to jump into the space of politics. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, and so now she's what? I haven't at heard a- anything about Michelle Tafoya not too. at all, not a but, peep since. But but why not? You hear about Jamel Hill still because she's good, exactly. <laughs> she's but Jamel good. Hill always. Always, yeah, she was dug into those was, intersections where again, she was like
1: first through the door on a lot of that
0: stuff. On a lot know. of that, especially for a woman, got I, I think the first in the door. I think like one of the, one especially of. from a journalist standpoint, the first through the door actually wasn't even a black journalist. I tend to say it was Dave Zirin, who we've had on this oh, podcast sure, here sure. before. Dave Zirin was the first person to really like kind of make it a genre. The intersection of sports and politics kind of became like a journalistic genre, if you will. And it's grown it's gone and it's grown and I remember him telling us on this podcast like you can find these stories anywhere now he remembers where he was having to reach to find these types of stories he had to write them and he had to reach for them like he had to reach in ways that he just doesn't have to anymore because it's now more accepted to be able to do that and have these and even somebody like Jamel Hill has mad respect for Dave Zyron I've heard her and Michael Smith talk about Dave Zyron time and again uh, when they had a platform together but but again, we're still talking too. about Jamel, Yo, and, and so Jamel's cool. still relevant, because Jamel didn't just start doing this after she you got know, let go from ESPN. Yeah. That was the reason she damn near got let go from ESPN, but she knew and understood ESPN wasn't the end-all, be-all for her to be able to grow and go and so reach unimaginable heights that in this show space. show was
1: great, and now they don't have that. And it's no. like, man, it,
0: that would, that show would go crazy but today. But you know what they do have now? They have an Angela Rye that they hired as a cultural correspondent, if you will. That... That was essentially sure. what Jamel Hill and that, was doing. And that's,
1: and that's her getting paid for a plug and play thing. I'm just
0: talking about homegrown. Ta- I mean, if you want to talk but about that's, But that's what I'm talent, saying. I agree. I'm agreeing with ESPN you because they're trying thing. to make up. The point that I'm ultimately yeah. making is they're trying to make up yeah. for that bad decision that they see, made with Jamel see, Hill. That's, and they're trying to do yeah, it by that's a creating lesson. these new positions like a cultural correspondent for Angela Rye to be Yo. able to fill in, which Angela Rye is dope. But look, look man. You yeah. had a whole, Listen, you had bro. homegrown talent to do that for you but you just weren't quite ready for that yet that's a lesson dog
1: in that if you see that you made a mistake when you had a homegrown situation that fit the bill for what you were trying to make happen you have to pay a premium on the back end if you deny that because you're gonna have to make up for it by being like oops now like on a radio i have to syndicate or i have to bring in some already proven talent that i have to pay a premium on that you're yeah. probably not going to – you're definitely, just based off the numbers, you're not going to see the same return. Return,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you. so
1: many times, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. but so many times you see people in a lot of different industries make decisions that are based off of, you know, I see dollar signs, but I'm going to try to take, like, this really conservative, you know, way out of it. yeah. And then they end up having to pay for it on the back and end. On the back end. Way absolutely. worse. Yeah. Way worse. It happens in bars and restaurants when hiring DJs. <laughs> Dude, it happens.
0: I guess we know what hey. we're talking about on Patreon today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it happens. It
0: could happen in any old place Devon. For houses. sure. No, I agree. I agree. So, no, nah, man, I think that's cool. Uh, we're about an hour and 50 minutes from the NBA finals. Okay. And I'm saying dubs in five.
1: That's what I say, too, Dubs and Five. I'm biased. If I had to write it down, I don't know
0: you're 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 a Blazers fan, no, so man. you you tell them why you're saying that. This is I'm, I'm saying it why. because I'm biased. Distance. I know it might go the distance, <laughs> but I'm biased. Dubs in five. Now you give your unbiased takes okay, on, on this... why you think the Dubs are going to win in five. Well, if I I
1: am a little bit biased because when they do win, I'm going down to the parade with you, Facts. my friend, and I'm going to have myself a hell of a time. Gotta go. Yeah, I'm going to be out. Uh, but objectively. There's uh, two little words in the English dictionary, and those two words are Steph Curry. Is that in the dictionary yet? Uh, It should be. Okay. Right? If you look up greatness, (laughs) it'll say, it'll have a picture of that fool doing a shimmy after just getting knocking down a 35 footer. Look, here's the thing, man. Boston on paper, and I understand why you would, first off, what was it? BPI, Vegas odds, put uh, uh, Boston at an 86% chance to win the, which is just preposterous
0: and, absolutely and, and, insane
1: there must be some sort of ploy from from vegas to try to like not lose so much money. i mean i don't because they know golden state's going to win i don't know but even if boston wants to play the way that they like to play they're so defensively principled they got length all over the floor they play straight up they, they play just fantastic defense all the way through they're probably the best man-to-man defense team in the league. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Okay. They're probably the best man-to-man defense team in the league, almost by a long shot at this point. And, and we and we were having discussions the whole playoffs long about teams like Milwaukee and teams like Miami being like very, very sound defensive team, likely the best whoop-wop-whip. Well, that wasn't the case. It was Boston. But it doesn't matter because Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, I mean, even Jason Tate— like especially Marcus Smart, you're not gonna be able to guard Steph Curry. You can't yeah, guard I think Steph he's Curry. Give
0: Steph Hale. I mean, Steph's gonna give Marcus. You can't hell.
1: guard him one on one anymore. We've known that for years now. But at this point, it's like you, you. It's for sure. You can't guard him one on one. Don't right. ever try to do it. Right. And guess what? They're gonna try to do it, but it's all gonna turn into what it always turns into. That dude is like a fucking like a. Decaying star, like a black hole. Everywhere he goes, he's, you know, four, three, four guys are going to follow him. His gravity is like anybody, unlike anybody else in the league. It's going to break down defenses. And now you got Clay Thompson, Jordan Poole, you know, Draymond Green. You can't give him ten feet, you know, at the at the wing. He's at least going to shoot it. It's just so many problems yeah. for Boston's defense with it starting and ending with Steph Curry. And yeah. just the gravity that he has and he makes excellent passes and he's a great decision maker. And I mean shit, I forgot to mention Andrew Wiggins. The I mean, Andrew Wiggins, just like everyone that goes to play with Steph Curry, you always go, Oh man, how do they turn into these like function, like system functioning players? It's like, no man, it's because, you know, it's like going, it's like coming back home from summer camp and your older brother went home to college and you got the whole room to yourself yeah it's just so much space for activities
0: so much space for activities
1: <laughs> and so andrew wiggins goes yes wow it's a lot easier to make decisions on the court when i got an yes. extra five feet of space everywhere around me because steph wanted to drag a bunch of dudes to the corner yep and go a, a, a skip pass over the head dump <laughs> off and now yeah. i got you now know, i got
0: luca I under got, the rim, and i'm a Baptize his ass. I, I got Reggie. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I
1: got
0: Rodney. What's his name? Standing in front of me,
1: he's about to get burned. I'm burned, and
0: mouth. I'm a elevator.
1: baptizes am baptize his ass. the holy <laughs> lake with the waters of Lake Minnetonka. And I'm just saying, man, it's baptizing it's be, in the Pacific Ocean. I just if you don't will, see ba- any area. other. I don't see any other way that it plays out, man. Because Clay Thompson's gonna get off. Steph is going to get off. Jordan Poole is going to have crazy nights. When you have Jordan Poole leading your second unit
0: with a bunch of like
1: 20 year old, 22 year old kids, that's what Steph, I mean, Steve Kerr was doing last series. So, I mean, if it gets ugly, which I assume it will. You're going to start seeing that. I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to have Gary Payton the second out there from a, a broken elbow, and then you know what he can do in the open court for sure. I mean, how demoralizing is that Punisher. going to be when Kaminga and Gary Payton II, and Wiggins, Wiggins are yeah. all <laughs> domping on you? Yeah, they got the, the young legs. And then on the other end, if you overcommit. Or you sag because you're worried about just getting dunked on for the back half of the game. Now you got Steph just bombs away, Clay, it, Clay Jordan bombs Poole. away. Like it's, it's just too yeah, many. It's, bad.
0: it's too many. It's dude. bad, it's and, I, and that's what come. I think. I got, I got some friendly wagers out so there. So that's my and, uh, objective assessment. I, I agree I say, with. And it.
1: I say Dubs and five, but if I worked for ESPN, because I would try to want to be sounding smarter than I am, I would say Dubs and six.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. But I don't um, have to sound smart. I, I think th- it, here's the thing I think tonight's game is like very, very, very critical. Uh, every game, obviously, is very critical in a series. Let's start there. But like the reason why I think tonight's game is critical in this series is I believe the Warriors, obviously, they have home court advantage. We know the prior success that they've had at home in the postseason, but the Warriors have had a week off. So they can come out a little bit out of rhythm, if you will, because they've had so much time off to where what has been three, four days that the Celtics had off because they played in the seven-game series last season. Obviously, if you're Golden State, you like that rest. Guys are able to recover, get their bodies right, get healthier. You expect the GP2 to be back. You expect Otto Porter to be back. It gives you more depth, so on and so forth. Didn't even mention Otto Porter. And I think – exactly. And I think even to offset that, if you will, the, the lack of rhythm that we've seen it's, been a, it's not an uncommon theme in the playoffs when a team gets too much rest. They come out in the following series maybe a little bit out of rhythm. Um, game one, I feel like because of that, should be the easier game for the Celtics to win. But if they yeah. don't, game two becomes that much harder because now you have a team that has that game out of the way that's back in rhythm. You're playing a game two against a team that's very successful at home. And also, I truly believe the Warriors, by the time they are definitely back in rhythm in Game 3 and Game 4, they're going to steal one of those games in Boston. So if you're Boston, you want to put your yourself in position to be able to steal one early and catch them off guard while they are out of rhythm. Because we already know how deadly it is the Warriors are when they are in rhythm. So you want to kind of try to get them on their heels early in the series because deeper in the series is going to be harder and harder to take them out ultimately. And then I also think that, you know, but in the case of the Warriors, where I think they'll win tonight, again, 80% of it is bias. I think what's going to be off be able to offset that lack of rhythm is, A, again, the depth they're, go- they're going to be able to have with the bodies they're going to be able to put out there, and, B, their home crowd is just sick. So well, they'll be able to give them kind of that jolt of energy needed to kind of fill in for the void that that yeah. lack of rhythm holds. well
1: that's the thing and
0: that's where i think
1: golden state could potentially run into a slight little bit of problems because golden state when they get way too comfortable they turn the ball over a bunch and then for they sure. they blow leads but they can fortunately
0: to- boston is the same way
1: yeah yeah but here's the thing boston is pretty much split they have an essentially like identical record on the road versus in the playoffs um yeah. uh at home in the playoffs. Right. So you would only you could you could just hope that if you're Boston that that those the crypto guy or the uh uh the Silicon Valley guys, the San Francisco <laughs> yeah, crowd, yeah, yeah, who by the way, like if you're a real Oakland like native grew up an Oracle type guy, you are sick to your stomach right now that yeah. those fools across the water didn't have no time to waste at all before they're just enjoying the lap of luxury of yeah. dubs are back in the finals. We have this brand new arena. So you're hoping that they don't know how to, if you're Boston, you're hoping that they don't know how to act, right? And that if Boston, if if, if Golden State sees slippage and Boston is a good team at attacking that.
0: yeah, you know, They
1: win most of the quarter's that they, even the games when they played against Miami, like it was just them doing that thing where they just, you know, stop playing the game for a whole quarter and then they lose a lead and then a tough team just squeaks it out on them. Yeah, so for sure. You're hoping that Boston will be able to capitalize on any moments, if any, that Golden State maybe gets lackadaisical. Yeah, and any then, lapses and Golden State what's it, has. Crypto, crypto arena, what is it?
0: No that's LA Oh that's it's LA Chase. No, Chase, Chase Chase
1: Chase Chase yeah the Big Bang Yeah so Chase the Big Bang
0: right <laughs> Mark Spears my my guy Mark Spears shout out to Mark Spears of the Undefeated he just tweeted, Igor Adala, Payton, and Porter available tonight, see, Kerr says.
1: See, it's going to go down. And <laughs> I bet you Gary Payton's going to come in, and he's going to play pick up 94
0: feet from the and very And he's opening. going to give that crowd that crazy jolt of energy. You need him to be <laughs> in there. You As soon as he comes him. off the bench and he enters the game, that crowd is going to home-town, go nuts. At home-town, Chase.
1: hometown hero plus a hometown favorite. Yep, brings defensive intensity, and he can and highlights. and he can bang
0: on. He can people. bang on. you. He's a momentum okay. swing player. Yeah,
1: he has to play.
0: He has to play every night if he and, can. And, and so, yeah, he's available. You know what I mean? Obviously, but like I said, just the way he went out and yeah. and the way he was playing prior to going out really all year long. But like you know, going out the way oh. that he did, him coming back, that crowd also, is going to go bonkers also, for GP two. I'm excited for. Uh, him.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be. It's. I can't wait for him to play in the finals, just because regardless if you win or you lose. To be able to do that, look at Al Horford, never been to the finals. No one in Boston has ever been to the finals, bro. None no of them. No one on that team. None of them. And so, you know, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to go out and do it. That's why, you know, a, a little inside baseball for the people listening. That's why we pushed the podcast recording up today a little bit because we want to go see this game.
0: Yeah, and absolutely. So
1: that's what we're about to go do.
0: Absolutely, man. Well, we are going to close this episode out. We still do have a Patreon episode to record. Make sure you subscribe to the Patreon. Again, Wake Up and Win podcast. Just head over to patreon.com searches. We will be there. It's only $5 a month. Just win, baby tier. We're giving you weekly content. And I think we got a pretty interesting conversation getting ready to come up here. We kind of alluded to it. A couple of times throughout today's episode Thank you all for listening And being here on that note We are going to leave y'all the only way that we know how And that is to stay woke And And go go win